The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au. That's www.noblebaptist.org.au. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and go back to the book of Acts. Acts in chapter 8. If you're looking in your uh, booklet, uh, we were going to look at uh, the conversion of Saul, who became Paul this morning, but I just wanted to go back and I wanted to finish off chapter 8 and look at the Ethiopian eunuch, so we'll look at uh, Paul next Sunday morning. I want to read this morning the scriptures from Acts chapter 8 and verse 25 all the way through to verse 40. And as soon as you have found your place in Scripture, would you please stand with me again as we read God's Word together, please. Acts chapter 8 and beginning at verse number 25. Actually, beginning at verse number 26, sorry. The Word of God says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? Excuse me. And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a lamb, sorry, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And we trust that God will have blessing the reading of his word. Please have a seat. Well, Poovin was announcing to us earlier about all of the new activities that are beginning here this week and this year at Noble Park Baptist Church. And as he did, I remembered my faults and shortcomings. I'm supposed to remind him to announce that the KYB study starts this Thursday night as well. No, I wasn't supposed to announce that. Not KYB. The ladies' evening study. (laughs) My apologies, the ladies' evening, the KYB starts on Wednesday, the ladies' evening starts on Thursday. 
Sorry about that. I should have made a note. I knew it. Oh, well. And because a new year of activities is starting here at Noble Park Baptist Church, it's kind of helpful for us to remind ourselves of why we as a church are here. It's one of the questions that I wrestled with while I was away on holidays in Portland. We are not here to create a name for ourselves or our ministry. We're not here to build a gigantic architectural structure to be marveled at by all who drive by and see it. It might be nice, but that's not what we're here for. We're not here to operate a comfortable country club for wealthy upper-middle-class Christians to kind of spend time every Sunday morning doing a few happy activities and going about their business. We're not here primarily to provide a social relief service to our community. So why, what are we, by the Holy Spirit's power, enabling and working to achieve? What are we doing here? What is the purpose or mission that our church, Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church, is here for? Well, the book of Acts as a whole gives us a great description of our mission, and the story of the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion is a great example of our mission being worked out. You should have picked up on the way in a little purple sheet that was on the table there. It's got a, an outline and the, and the scripture on the back of it, and you'll see there I gave it to you in, in full. Our mission is to glorify God through the ministry and practice of His Word. We minister and practice His Word in worship, which glorifies God and builds up the saints and the believers. And we also minister and practice His Word in witness, which glorifies God and makes disciples from all nations and all individuals. Now here, in Acts 8, it is clearly the witness that is being displayed. I want you to remember just briefly before we get into Acts 8, the source of our mission is Christ himself. Jesus set the example for our church's mission in his ministry by speaking to Jews and Samaritans and even a Canaanite woman. He spoke in synagogues and the temple itself. He spoke in the homes of friends and family and the disciples. He spoke outside, on the beach, on mountaintops, during the day, at night. He spoke to men and to women, to old and to young. He spoke to those who are physically whole. And he also spoke to lepers and lame, the blind, the deaf, the mute, the demon-possessed. He spoke to rich and powerful. And he spoke to the poor and the marginalized. Christ spoke and dealt with them all on the basis of our greatest need, forgiveness of sin, and reconciliation to God. His ministry set the example for all his followers. And Philip in his ministry was following Christ's example. And we're called today, 2022, to follow Christ's example, bearing witness for Christ to live out our mission, which is to follow Christ's example. He gave us And you all know these verses. He gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all 
that I have commanded you. In Acts 1 verse 8, the great theme verse of the book of Acts, Jesus told His disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. To make disciples and teach them requires the ministry of the Word. To be His witnesses, again, it requires the ministry of the Word of God. So we have an example and we have a mission. But the question is, who is it to? Who is the focus? What is the scope of our mission? Now those two texts I gave give us our scope. All nations from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. The scope of our mission is both large groups and isolated individuals. And the book of Acts displays that mission being continued. It was Christ's mission, and that mission was carried on by the disciples, the apostles. In Acts 2 through 8, we see that Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria received the witness. Gentile Rome in Acts chapter 10 is introduced to the gospel as Cornelius and his friends receive that witness, and they're converted en masse all at once in his home. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are called over to Macedonia and the gospel spreads into Europe. And so as you read Acts, you will see large groups converted to Christ. As you leave the history of the church, you'll see revivals where whole communities, whole towns were converted through great revivals. I was reading, not reading, sorry, listening to a recounting of the Welsh revival whole towns where the police literally in the space of a few days had nothing to do because crime had just stopped. Whole towns converted, whole families and churches changed and massively grown as large groups were converted to Christ. And the scope of our mission is also individuals. We see here in Acts chapter 8, one lone Ethiopian, he hears the gospel He's converted, he's baptized, and with rejoicing, he takes the gospel to Ethiopia, which is modern-day northern Africa, and the gospel spreads to Africa. We see in Acts chapter 9, a Christ-hating, church-persecuting Pharisee named Saul is converted by Christ's direct intervention, and we'll see it next week, and he takes the gospel into Europe. We see in Acts 16 that Lydia's heart is opened by the Lord to receive the gospel. And there's so many more stories of isolated individuals coming into contact with the gospel, being saved. And God uses them both as individuals and as group to spread the gospel further. Whole groups of people repenting of sin, believing wholeheartedly the gospel were converted from sinners to saints. The scope of our mission is also diverse cultures and social settings. The Ethiopian eunuch was a wealthy, powerful, high-ranking diplomat. In Acts chapter 9, we see Saul was an educated, powerful Roman Jew and a Pharisee. In Acts 16, Lydia is a wealthy businesswoman. Many of the early Christians, as you read the epistles, you pick it up. They were soldiers and slaves and fishermen and farmers and so on. Within the New Testament, you see Jewish culture, Samaritan culture, African culture, Greek culture, Roman culture, and European culture. And one of the reasons I love Noble Park Baptist Church, look around the room. 
There's all sorts of cultures represented here, even as far off and as wacky as Canadian cultures here, right? We're a group of people from diverse cultural and social backgrounds, and we come together. And one of the wonderful things about fellowship together as believers in Christ is the one thing that we all have in common is not our skin color, not our accent or our language. It's Christ. That's a great truth, brothers and sisters. We have Christ in common. We're all brought from all those different cultures and backgrounds and brought together to round Christ, to worship together as one family. One of the interesting themes in the book of Acts that comes up is access to God is no longer through Jerusalem and Judaism, nor is it temple-centered. For a thousand plus years... Access to God required a person to go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices according to the law and through Israel's priesthood. But now, all men and women can have access to God through Christ, finding grace and forgiveness and peace with God outside of Judaism. You look in verses 27 there, you'll see the Ethiopian having gone to Jerusalem to worship. And as he's returning... He's no closer to God than when he had arrived. But by God's providence, he brought a scroll of Isaiah with him. And by God's marvelous grace, he heard the gospel on his way away from Jerusalem and back home as it was explained to him by Philip, a Hellenistic Jew. He found Christ and forgiveness and went on his way rejoicing. So the scope of our mission is all mankind, large groups and individuals, diverse cultures and social settings, all of mankind universally are called by God through the gospel to repent of sin, to believe wholeheartedly in God for salvation, and to live the new life of obedience to Christ. Now you probably know all that. I don't think I probably told you anything that you didn't already know. But it's a great reminder for us, and there's more to it. There's some personal things that we need to work through as we go through this passage. One of the things that comes up as you look at the story is under whose leadership and direction is this mission taking place? I want you to notice, thirdly, the command of our mission is God's Holy Spirit. Remember back in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5? The church is looking, and there's a bit of a trouble going on because the Greek widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so they go to the disciples, the apostles, and they make complaint. And they say, well, it's not fitting for us to leave aside prayer and the ministry of the word. And they say, pick from yourself seven men full of the Holy Spirit to whom we can give this task of making sure the food is all distributed. In Acts 6 and verse 5, the Bible says... The church chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and then five others. The implication of that verse is that Stephen and Philip and the five were all men filled with the Holy Spirit who led and directed them in their lives as individuals and then their ministry as deacons and preachers and evangelists. The Spirit of God was at work in their lives. They were submitted to his leading and controlling of their lives. And you know, you go back to Acts 8, where we're supposed to be, and in the very beginning, you'll see in verse 
uh, 3 and 4 there, Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. I have no doubt in my mind that God's Holy Spirit stirred up that persecution against the church. Why? To drive the disciples and the apostles out from Jerusalem to spread out to Judea and Samaria and make their way to the ends of the earth. God, there's nothing random. There's no random molecule in all of existence. God is sovereignly in control of all those things. And brothers and sisters, God brings persecution at times for His purposes and for His uses. And here we can see the Spirit of God is driving. What happens immediately? They go out preaching the gospel. As I understand it, uh, the Apostle Thomas made his way all the way to India to preach the gospel there. These different ones. And Philip, of course, we know, goes to Samaria and he preaches the gospel. The Spirit of God was at work in their lives. Now, in verse 26 of chapter 8, we see, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip goes. It's about, I figured out with a little ruler and my little Bible map in the back of my Bible, it's about 80 to 100 kilometers. So Philip walks roughly three, maybe four days of fast walking to get all the way down there. And you know what occurred to me as I was sitting over there this morning reviewing my sermon notes? The guy had just come from Jerusalem. Surely the Lord could have said to one of those disciples, one of those apostles still in Jerusalem, hey, go talk to the Ethiopian. But no, he waits till the Ethiopian leaves and makes his way uh, south from Jerusalem down to Hebron, then west across to Gaza. And he waits till he leaves. And then he sends Philip, who's further away, to go all that way to meet him. He had a purpose in that. God brings Philip and sends him to go and meet this man. Notice also in verse 29. The Bible says, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And Philip runs over to this chariot. And from those phrases, angel of the Lord and the Spirit, one thing is clear. The leadership and direction for Philip's ministry came from God himself, which would indicate the Spirit of God is leading and directing him in his ministry. God's Spirit is directing Philip's ministry to the Ethiopian just as God's Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted in Luke 4 and throughout his earthly ministry. He led him. And just as God's Spirit led Peter in his leadership of the early church and God's Spirit separated Saul and Paul, sorry, Saul, who's called Paul, and Barnabas in Acts 13 to do the work he called him to. Philip, from his early life as a believer, serving as a deacon, is familiar with the Holy Spirit's leading and directing his life and ministry. And the Bible says here, the Spirit spoke to Philip. Now, without any other clarification, I would take it very simply that Philip heard an audible voice. And God still speaks to us today, but I would say not with an audible voice. He speaks to us primarily through His inspired Word. We have the completed Word of God before us today, inspired by God through many different writers. 
everything we need to know to live this life of faith and obedience and witness and ministry can be found within its pages. Now, having said that, I'm going to add something else. I believe in this Christian life, the Spirit of God will still lead us in specific things outside the scope of Scripture. And you're going to go, wait a minute, you just contradicted yourself. No, it works like this. Uh, who can I pick on? I'll pick on Poovin, he won't mind. Poovin's a lovely guy. And I guarantee if you take the name Poovin Govender and go from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 all the way to the maps in your Bible, you'll never see Poovin's name come up. But there are times when the Spirit of God will impress upon my heart and mind to pray for Poovin. He's not mentioned the Bible. And so what I'm saying is there is times that the the Spirit of God leads us in specific things, laying those things on our hearts and our minds. It often happens as I'm studying or as I'm in prayer that the Spirit of God will bring somebody's name to mind. And I'll take that name and I'll begin to pray for that person. Sometimes I have no idea why I need to pray for them. I simply know that Poovin needs prayer at that moment, and so I cry out to God that whatever he's dealing with, that God will give him the strength to deal with it. And likewise with most of you. The Spirit of God leads by laying those things, impressing them on our hearts and our minds, current names, events, situations. He lays things on our hearts and impresses them on our minds. He calls us to pray for each other. He calls us and leads me. I seek for God's will in my own ministry, knowing where I should preach, what texts I should look at. Sometimes I make a plan, like I did with this booklet, and I'm going to be at the end of chapter 9 by the end of today. And here we are at the end of chapter 8 today. Sometimes it takes longer to get through what I plan to. Why? And I'm not remotely concerned about that. If you're worried because I didn't meet the plan, I'm sorry. God bless you. I'm not going to worry about that at all because I want to leave room for the Spirit of God to lead. And that's exactly what's happening here. The Spirit of God is leading Philip in his mission and his ministry. And you know what? I'm nobody special. I'm not describing anything that's outside of the ordinary scope of every Christian's life. I can guarantee if I asked a number of you afterwards, you have ever time when God laid someone's name on your mind and you just knew you needed to pray for them? I'll hear, yep, been there, done that, it's happened. And by God's grace, it will still and continue to happen. But I don't want to drift too far from the main point here. The mission of our church is to bring the gospel to all nations and groups and isolated individuals under the leadership and direction of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, the obvious thing for me to do now is to lay a great big guilt trip on all of us to run outside and immediately preach to anybody that will listen, right? No. Should we not have a desire to tell everybody we meet about Christ? Yes. Do we tell, should we tell everybody we meet about Christ? And I'm going to answer the way you probably don't think I will. I'm going to say no. You say, why would that? Listen. The Spirit of God at times restrains us and hinders us from speaking. If you go to the book of Acts, chapter 16 and verse 6, you'll see there that Paul and Silas were, and I quote, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. You go to verse 7, 
It happens again. The Spirit would not allow them to go to Bithynia. Is there something wrong with Asia and Bithynia that Paul and Silas shouldn't go there? No. But for his purposes, the Spirit said no to their desire to go over there. And so they wait to see where God would lead them. And in Acts 16 and verse 9, the Spirit called Paul and Silas through a vision of a Macedonian man to go over and help the Macedonians and the gospel spreads to Europe. So what's the point? There are times when we are called and led to speak and there are times when we're not. We go out and witness to people and I can be, I'll begin a conversation and within a few seconds I can tell if this door is open or this door is not. And you know what? As one commentator and scholar put it, perhaps we would know more joy and success in the work of our mission if we strove neither to lag behind the Spirit's leading nor to go ahead of it, but rather to strive to stay in step with the Spirit's leading and directing. The point is this. The mission of the church is under the command of the Spirit of God to bring the message of the gospel to all nations for the glory of Christ's name among those peoples. And Christ is continuing His work through us, directed and led and under the command of His Spirit. Now, having said all that, I want to settle into the challenge that this text dropped on me. And I'm going to share it with you. How much... Am I, are we, as a church, submitted to the Spirit's leading in our lives? How diligently are we searching His Scriptures for answers to the concerns and the directions of our life and our ministry? How often does the Lord lay on my heart, and maybe yours too, the burden to speak, or the restraint to be silent, and yet we strive ahead so sure that we know better, or we lag behind because fear has invaded and intruded. How often, brothers and sisters, are we living in submission to the Spirit of God, allowing Him to direct us and lead us, and how often are we going with our preconceived idea and plan and just barreling ahead? I think that guy was right. I can't remember the name of the scholar. I'm going to say it again. Perhaps we would know more joy and success in the work of our mission if we strove neither to lag behind the Spirit's leading nor to go ahead of it, but rather to stay in step with His leading and His directing. There's something else here too. How often do we look at what God is calling us to do And then we balk and we refuse because the difficulties that we see seem to us to be insurmountable. Is not our God able to overcome the obstacles that He set in place even as He called us to act? Now, I don't know if Cameron will listen to this, but I'm going to use him for a bit of an illustration. He's going through some very interesting times. He's up in Portland. He's working out, getting a job and finding a place and all these things. And as we spend the last four or five days up in Portland with him, as all these details were sort of things were coming up and then falling through and doors were opening and doors were closing. And and we were all just going, you know what? 
The Lord closed that door. He's got something else in mind. And as the week has progressed since then, and he's up there still, he's discovered he's got a good job. He's got, actually got two of them now. And he's found a place. He doesn't know if he's going to get it yet. So everything is about prayer and seeking for God's leading. And when God shuts doors, accepting and giving praise to God that that door was shut for God's purposes, but also to say, hey, this is not impossible. This isn't within the realm of God's calling. He believes that God's called him up there to work up there. How it's all going to work out, all the details. Does he have every duck in a row? No. (laughs) Does God call us to do things with every duck in the row? I hope you know that expression, all your ducks in a row. Okay, good. Um, Does it happen? No. When we were leaving Canada to come here, we had everything figured out. You know how it went? Differently, (laughs) because God has a way of doing that. But the point I want to get across, and one of the things that just struck me as I thought and prayed and meditated over the whole story, is Philip's submission to the Holy Spirit in his leading him to talk to the Ethiopian. Brothers and sisters, are we truly living under the influence of the Holy Spirit? I pray often. And I hope you join me in that prayer, that the Spirit of God's influence in every one of us would be steadily increasing, that we would be living under His influence and leading. He's shown us. Sorry, He had shown... Sorry, back up. Philip conducted his ministry under the leading and directing of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? It didn't begin right there. He had shown Philip in his life as a member of the church in Jerusalem, that he was full of the Spirit, that he was under the influence of the Spirit. He was recognized by the church as a deacon to serve in the church, and he was used by God and led by God because his life was in submission to the Holy Spirit's leading. And where do we see that? The angel of the Lord says, rise and go. And you know, I can could, I could imagine Philip, you know, there he is, he's in Samaria, Great crowds of people, hundreds and possibly thousands, are listening to him as he ministers. He's doing signs and wonders and miracles. People are being baptized. The church is being established. And the angel of the Lord says, stop what you're doing here and walk 100 miles south and meet one man. But he didn't even tell him what he was going to do. He said, go down there to that road. And what's Philip do? Up and runs. Not runs, walks three to four days journey to meet the guy. And he finally sees in this lonely desert road, it was an, almost an unused road between Jerusalem and Hebron and across to Gaza. And he sees a chariot coming down the road, maybe a little bit ahead of him. And the Spirit says, go and join it. So he runs up to join it. And the Spirit of God uses him. And he is in submission to the Spirit of God's work in his life. You say, how are we going to know The Spirit's leading in our lives. I'll give you two answers you can see in Philip's life. Number one, there was humility. He did not see that the work in Samaria was absolutely critical that he stay there. He was willing to get up and go. Did he ever go back? From what we can tell, he went from the meeting the Ethiopian up to Azotus. He preaches the gospel and then goes up to Caesarea. And that's the last we hear of until much later in the book of Acts. And we hear nothing more about what he's doing. What's the point? He understood his role was to be used by God wherever God put him and to be taken out of that role and put somewhere else. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what's required of us 
to be led by the Spirit, it's humility and it's obedience. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the other question needs to be asked too. What hinders us from being used by God to do God's work? And I'll answer this. It's pride and disobedience. And every single one of us from that back wall to that back wall can go, yep, been there, done that. Too proud to do this. Too proud to do that. Disobedient because I'd... I don't want to face possible ridicule or possible problems or possible persecution, so I back away. I know God's calling. I know God is telling me to go and do such and such, but I pull back because I don't want the the difficulty, the pain of what that might involve. Brothers and sisters, that one of the things that really hit me, and I've got to say it again, is Philip's submission and following in obedience to the leading of the Spirit of God in his life. And God used him to put the gospel into one man's mind and heart. He was saved by God. The Ethiopian goes back to Ethiopia. And I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, one of the oldest purpose-built churches in the world. Guess where it is? Ethiopia. And the gospel is established in Ethiopia and Africa. Moving on. The content of our mission. We've looked so far at the, the source of our mission, the scope of our mission, the command of our mission. I want us to see the content of our mission. Notice how the story unfolds. Philip is sent and so he goes. Philip is commanded to join the chariot and he runs up and engages the Ethiopian in conversation. The Ethiopians already reading the text of Isaiah 53. Isn't God great? He doesn't leave him in like Chronicles 9, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, and and Philip has to somehow work from Chronicles 9 all the way to Isaiah 53. No, he has the guy in Isaiah 53. And God is already working in his heart. The Spirit of God is at work in the Ethiopian as much as in Philip to bring them together and use Philip to communicate the gospel to him. He's reading Isaiah 53. He's returning from Jerusalem where he'd gone to worship. And from this, we can assume that the Ethiopian is either born a Jew or a convert to Judaism, yet, due to his emasculation as a eunuch, his freedom to approach in the temple would have been severely limited. That was the Old Testament law. And here we see Philip's role in the story being an imitation of Christ's example that Christ set on the road to Emmaus. In fact, the two stories, both written by Luke, have an amazing similarity. Christ himself joins these two men walking on the road as a mysterious stranger to them. And he, Christ, asks a couple of questions, just as Philip does. He, Christ gently rebukes the two, and then in Luke 24, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The very same thing that Philip does here in Acts 8.35. He opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. It's just like Peter on Pentecost morning. He began with the scriptures, Joel chapter 2 and Psalm 16. Just like Stephen, standing before the Sanhedrin, what's he do? He begins with a great sweeping overview of Old Testament scriptures and proclaims Christ to them. So Philip told him the good news of Christ. 
And the word there, I'm going to mispronounce it, but it's euangelisato. It means he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus Christ. From the text of Isaiah 53, 7, he proclaimed the good news of the Lamb of God who was taken and brutally slaughtered as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sin, for Philip's sin, for his sin. Perhaps Philip had heard the story about John the Baptist. One day John is doing his baptizing on the Jordan there, and he sees coming down the beach toward him Jesus, and he cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And certainly as he talked, the Spirit of God gave Philip the words to say to expound that very text to the Ethiopian. Christ is the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb to die as the sin offering for His people's sin. But you know what? That interpretation of Scripture was unheard of outside of the Christian church. Judaism in the first century had no idea, no concept of a suffering Messiah. They read those verses as speaking about Israel as a nation. The Jews were expecting a Messiah who would deliver them from all their external problems. How much has changed? Isn't it true? The world around us is looking for God to save them from all their external problems. But Christ didn't come primarily to save us from our external problems. Christ came to deliver us from the greatest problem we have, which is sin and estrangement from God to reconcile us to God. The Jews in Judaism were eager for the Messiah to come and conquer and overthrow the Romans and reestablish the superiority of Israel as a nation. To consider a suffering Messiah dying for his people was absolutely unheard of. And yet Philip gives him the gospel from that verse. Brothers and sisters, the content of our mission is Christ and him crucified. Amen. It is. That's all it is. Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, I like the old King James here, for I determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We live in a day and age when the church, by and large, is pushing that message aside for something else, something more politically, socially, culturally acceptable. And the church makes a terrible, tragic, and sinful mistake when it goes to the world with anything but Christ and Him crucified. The church makes a sinful mistake when we go seeking primarily to alleviate the world's external problems. The greatest need to which Jesus addressed his ministry was man's universal need to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven of sin, to be set free from sin, to serve a living God. All those other things, God will deal with them in his time and in his way. There will come a day when all those external problems that plague us right now, gone. 
We'll be face to face with Christ, enjoying Him for all of eternity. But you know what? If you try and solve all those external problems and don't deal with the one main problem, you might solve some of those external problems, but for eternity, the one problem will remain undealt with. Brothers and sisters, the content of our mission, just like Christ and just like Peter and Paul and Philip, is the message of Christ and Him crucified. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, the first words recorded about Christ and His ministry, He came preaching, repent, believe the gospel, and follow Me. In Acts 2, Peter preached repentance and believing in the gospel and following Christ. Paul preached Christ crucified. And Philip here preaches Christ as the Lamb of God, so he needed to repent and believe. Brothers and sisters, there are some things that we as a church need to stand absolutely rock-solid firm on, draw a double line underneath them and say, we will not depart from preaching Christ and Him crucified. I've heard people say, you talk too much about the blood. It's all blood this and blood that. Praise God in heaven for the blood of Christ. If there's no blood of Christ, brothers and sisters, we're lost. You talk too much about crucifixion. You talk too much about repentance and sin and being converted. You're poking people and challenging them about whether they truly believe or not. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to keep doing it as long as they let me stand here and do it. Why? Because that's the message of the Bible. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, I won't keep you there any longer. For his own purposes, the Spirit of God did not see it necessary to inspire Luke to record word for word the content of Philip's message, simply that he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. So then we see, lastly, the result of his mission. Clearly, the Ethiopian believed the message. He was converted. Clearly, the Ethiopian felt his heart warmed. He felt the testimony of the Spirit of God within him, bearing witness with his own spirit that he was, indeed, a child of God. You say, where do you get that from? Romans 8, 16 tells us exactly that. That the Spirit of God bears witness with our own spirits that we are the children of God. The Ethiopian remembered the baptismal rite that the Jews and Judaism practiced uh, as one was converted to Judaism. And perhaps, perhaps as part of his message and explanation, Philip had given to him this, the reality of baptism. And so whatever it was, he's asked in verse 36, what prevents me from being baptized? Now, under Judaism, with which he was acquainted, his emasculation would have prevented him from being fully converted to Judaism. It would have limited him. But now, in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. His body will one day be renewed and perfected. Nothing hinders him so long as he believes with all his heart. And so in obedience to God, he is baptized and with rejoicing. He goes on his way home and takes the gospel to North Africa. Philip, to wrap all this up, Philip had continued Christ's mission by going under the Spirit's leading to both large groups and isolated individuals. He went to diverse cultures and social settings. He went with the simple message of the gospel, Christ 
crucified as the Lamb of God slain for us. That's what Philip did. Brothers and sisters, what about us? We have this great mission from Christ, our Savior himself. Christ has suffered and died to set us free from sin, to call us to repent and believe and to live the new life in Christ. Christ has set the example for how that new life is to be lived. Christ has filled us with His Holy Spirit to lead us, to empower us, to equip us and to enable us to live this life, continuing Christ's mission to take the gospel to all nations. To take it to four Sunday school kids next week. To take it to the ladies that come to the Bible study, the ladies that come to the evening Bible study. To take it through those Gospels of Luke, wherever they've been moved now, and put it in neighborhood boxes all around. To take it to your neighbor, your friend, your colleague, as you sense God opening a door to share the Gospel, to speak up and share it with whoever you're with there. He's given us that mission. He's filled us with His Spirit to empower us and equip us to live the life and take the message of the gospel with us. Christ has given us His Word, the Word of the living God, to equip us with everything we need to fulfill that mission. And He leads us every day by His Spirit to those who need to hear at that moment the message of Christ and Him crucified. The question that I want to go back to is this. Are we living in submission to the Spirit of God, both His opening of doors and closing them? Are we humbly listening to His leading? Are we being obedient to His calling? Are we, as a church and as individuals, continuing Christ's gospel mission to the world that we live in? You don't have to go to the furthest reaches of Africa or India or wherever, to be a missionary. You have to be willing to be led by the Spirit of God to wherever He puts you, whether it's Nary Warren or Pakenham or Dingley or Keysboro or wherever you live, Endeavor Hills, whatever it is. The greatest ability we have to share and to be used is availability, to be willing to be available for God to take us and use us and share the message of the gospel with those around us. This Ethiopian who, I don't know if you noticed, he's not even named. And yet he takes the gospel all the way to Africa. And the gospel is planted there. Thomas disappears off the page of Scripture in John chapter 21, I believe. And yet we know he took the gospel to India. You may never be known and remembered by any great group. There may not be any statues built to commemorate you. But if we go with the willingness to be led by the Spirit, to be used by God, to preach the gospel to the nations around us, God will greatly bless. And the gospel will spread a little further. But that's our mission. We are here, as we were singing just before we got up, to glorify God. How do we do it? In the ministry of the Word, in witness outside of the church, and in ministry and practice of the Word, inside the church as we worship together. Does that make sense? Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we come before you again.
We continue before you, Lord. And we give thanks again, O God, for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, for sinners slain. And Father, I thank you for the fact that he died for me. And we give thanks, O God, as a believing church, for the fact that Jesus died for us, suffering as a lamb led to the slaughter and a sheep before its shears. Father, we thank you that you have raised him from the dead and exalted him to your right hand and given him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow and declare that he is Lord. Father, we give thanks also for the word of God that you have given to us. Father, we thank you for the inspired, complete, authoritative, clear word of the living God. Father, we thank you that its pages and its truths are so simple that a small child can read and understand and so profoundly deep that the greatest scholar will never plumb its depths. Father, we give thanks that you speak to us through your word. We give thanks also too, Father, for the times that you lay on our hearts and our minds, brothers and sisters in Christ, unsaved family and friends and neighbors, to pray for them, to go and share. Father, we thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus himself, who was led by the Spirit in his ministry. For the example of the apostles and disciples in the book of Acts, who were led by the Spirit to preach and teach the gospel wherever they went. Father, we pray. We give thanks, O God, for the tremendous blessing of the filling of the Holy Spirit that we receive the moment we believe. Father, we pray that you would work in us to humble ourselves, to live and walk in obedience before you that we might know that leading of the Spirit of God, that our lives would not hinder his leading in our lives, that we would know when to speak and when to be silent. Father, we ask you that you would do a great work in this church. Father, I pray for every single one of us that you would greatly increase the Spirit of God's influence in our lives, that our fear of God would greatly increase. Father, that our obedience to Scripture would greatly increase. Father, we ask you that you would do a work in this church. And Father, from this church, reach out and save thousands around us. May we be used for the gospel, we pray, O God. And we ask you these things, Father, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.